wine on Waiheke Island, getting banned from a country over cheese, and settling a coffee dispute. This week, we're in Auckland, New Zealand. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. You found the place where we talk food and culture from around the world at DestinationEatDrink.com on the YouTube channel, and here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. And this week, we're in Auckland, New Zealand, with L. Armin Jones from the Big Foodie Food Tours. But first, if you like food and travel, and of course you do, that's why you're here, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about Faz Dodoro, a town on the ocean that's a great day trip from Porto in Portugal. Get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. I also just posted a new video. This one's about a wine region you've probably never heard of, but it's right in my backyard here in Portugal. I visit a couple wineries, enjoy some great wine, and visit a castle in Palmela, Portugal. See that by clicking on the video tab at DestinationEatDrink.com or go to YouTube and check out at DestinationEatDrink946. L. Armin Jones is originally from the U.K., but she's made her home in New Zealand for over 20 years, marrying a Kiwi along the way. L. tells me all about wine from her region of New Zealand, in and around Auckland, native Maori cuisine, and the Hangi Master, and the difference between British fish and chips and the New Zealand version of fish and chips. Plus, L. talks about moving to New Zealand because of the food. Okay. I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. L. Armin Jones from the Big Foodie Food Tours. Thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's great to talk to you about Auckland, New Zealand. Thank you for having me. You know, I've been excited about this conversation for a while because Auckland is truly one of my favorite places on the planet. We were there in 2018, and I just love Auckland. It is such a, a, a livable, fun, easygoing, and great foodie city. But I want to ask you, what is it about Auckland that makes it special for you, Elle? Auckland to me is, is a city that is constantly changing. I mean, since you were here in 2018, obviously we've all been through COVID, but uh, it, it's gone from feeling like a gangly teenager to a really fantastic international city. Um, we do have an amazing food scene. We're also surrounded by water. You know, we're one of the few cities in the world that you can get to the east and west coast within an hour. We've got amazing beaches. We've got a vibrant, fun city centre and some amazing suburbs. Um, and we've got the likes of Waiheke Island on the doorstep, which is just phenomenal. Um, and a real treat for us to have. And it's, it's easily accessible from North America. You know, it is, it's a 12-hour plane right from the West Coast, but uh, we're seeing more and more um, Americans coming down for shorter periods of time, which is great because it's it's easy to do that now. Yeah, there's lots of direct flights now. No, not so many that you have to um, 
you know, it used to be you'd have to stop in Australia and then uh, hop over to New Zealand. Now there's a lot of direct flights, especially from the uh, West Coast of the United States. So it's much easier to get to New Zealand than it was back in the day. Um, El, you brought up uh, Waiheke Island, so that's probably a good place to start. Um, just wine in New Zealand, wine in general in the Auckland region. Now, I, I should tell folks we're we're dealing with a twelve-hour time difference because I'm here in Portugal, you're in New Zealand, obviously, and um, so that means that for me, you know, it's wine o'clock. It's it's evening time for you. It's you know first thing in the morning. So I I don't want to make any presumptions. I don't and no judgment. But I'm I'm thinking it's probably not wine o'clock where you are, even though it's wine o'clock where I am. But still, let's let's talk a little bit about wine in the Auckland region and Waiheke Island. Well, I'm actually funny enough talking about wine. I'm staring at a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc, which um, perfect. It is seven oh five a.m., but I'm not going to open it up. Um, I actually I live on the the west uh, northwest side of Auckland um, in a property uh, called Vineyard Cottages, and this was actually built by a guy called Bill Spence who bought Sauvignon Blanc to New Zealand. So we're surrounded by wine. We have our own vineyard here. You can come and stay with us. We have seven cottages, um, and we're out in the Kimu Wine Region, which is the oldest wine region in New Zealand. So we're really lucky with Auckland. We have Kimu out in the west. We've got Waiheke Island in the east, um, and the Matakana and Clevedon. So we've got 360 degrees of wine. There's not many cities in the world that can boast about that. Um, but Waiheke is a little gem and uh, it's uh, only a 35 minute ferry trip from downtown Auckland. It's super easy to get to. Um, and it is one of these places that, yes, we want to tell the world because we love to boast about it, but also we don't want to tell the world because then everybody will be there. <laughs> um, but it is just, it's glorious. It has uh, excellent wineries, um, the different microclimates on the island, it's its long with lots of different coves and bays. So you do get um, some very different soil structures, different facing vineyards. Um, so brilliant for different varietals. And we've got some great reds over there, some fantastic red blends, some of those sort of Bordeaux styles, um, some brilliant Chardonnay and some of the, the less well-known things like Viognier, um, brilliant Pinot Gris. And there is a little bit of Sav Blanc growing over there, too. So you can very easily, if you're coming into Auckland, jump on a ferry. Um, we do tours on Waiheke, but I highly recommend the likes of Ananda Tours as well. They're a family-owned business and uh, all of the family works for them. Um, and it's a, it's just a beautiful place to go and spend the day, the weekend. You can easily do a week on Waiheke as well. Um, and excellent food to boot too. It is really very special, and I agree with you 100%. If you go there... Uh, take one of the tours. It's so easy to get around when someone is doing all the driving for you. And there's a ton of great wineries. You don't want to limit yourself to, oh, we'll just go to this one. There's a ton of great ones. I was looking it up in preparation for this, and I was uh, remembering some of my favorite places like uh, Kennedy Point and uh, Man of War. But I was I was wondering, do you have a favorite on uh, Waiheke Island? I mean, you've got your own vineyard, so I, I know you love your wine. But, you know, when you go to Waiheke, is there a special place for you? Uh, you've mentioned Man of War, and I do love uh, everything that they do. It is the other side of the island, but they have a, a shuttle bus. Um, and just the outlook, just being able to sit there, look out across the bay, the Pahutakawa trees, it is stunning. If you're... Um, on the, the west end of the islands, it's um, for me, 372 is a restaurant that I just can't go past. Every time uh, I get over to Waiheke, it's, it's a restaurant that I will definitely go and eating. 
Um, but from a vineyard point of view, Obsidian is definitely one of my favorites. I have been collecting their wine for a while. Um, they do some beautiful blends. Their Chardonnay is fantastic and a couple of different Italian varietals. Uh, but we do have a few new guys on the island as well. And post-COVID, um, we've had a bit of a, a surge in a couple of breweries that have set up. There's a gin distillery now. Um, the rum company has always been brilliant. We've got some whiskey on the island. So there's a lot more, if you're not a big wine drinker, uh, there's a lot more happening. Um, and we've also got a fabulous lady called Timmy Smith who is doing tea blending, um, which is quite unusual. She's a... a a beautiful lady who also makes jewellery up in um, Onoroa. So you can go over and do a tea blending experience from a, a sort of medicinal purposes rather than your, your bog standard salon. So the, there is lots more to do that's arrived post the last few years. Um, and it really is just an enchanting place to, to go and enjoy. You mentioned that you're on a, you, you've got cottages on a vineyard where you are right now. That's so cool. If folks come and stay there, can they can they try your wines too? Yeah, absolutely. And we've got um, well, we've got some interesting wine, that's for sure. But we've also got next door neighbours who are, are brilliant. They're the original Martua um, Vineyard Estate, which uh, was uh, sold off years ago. And you can buy Martua in the states. You can buy it around the world. Um, we've also got the likes of Cumu River Chardonnay. Uh, the Cumu River House is um, about three miles away from me. And they're constantly, the Brykovich family are unbelievable when it comes to making Chardonnay. And uh, they're constantly recognized in the world wine magazines in the top 10 Chardonnay makers in the world. Yeah, that's just down the road. That's pretty special. Um, so there's there's lots of neighboring vineyards as well that uh, we take people out on, on little wine tours from vineyard cottages um, as a sort of a side to the big foodie. Um, but it's a it's a very unique spot. I, I got up at about six o'clock and listened to the dawn chorus, which was really quite beautiful. So I um, highly recommend people coming to Auckland, come out and stay with us for a night as well. Do your city thing. We'll pick you up in the minibus and bring you out here. It's rather special. The other thing that I was blown away by when we got to New Zealand, because we were living in Hawaii at the time and uh, came to New Zealand in 2018, like I mentioned. And one thing about Hawaii that a lot of people maybe don't realize is that, you know, they think it's it's a tropical island, right? And they think there's all this produce there. And sure, you can get the pineapple and the passion fruit and the great bananas and, and a lot of that stuff. But the fact of the matter is the majority, in fact, the overwhelming majority of the produce in Hawaii has to be shipped or flown in. They don't grow most of it because land has become so overwhelmingly expensive that all the agricultural land is basically gone now. There's very little of it left in Hawaii. I only tell you that to tell you this. We get to New Zealand and I'm like, the New Zealand produce is amazing. And there's so much of it. It, it seems to me like New Zealand has done a much better job preserving their agricultural heritage and tradition. When we come to visit you in New Zealand, Al, what should we look for as far as produce goes? And what are some of your best markets you think that we should visit? You're right. We are incredibly lucky with everything uh, we're producing here. Um, Auckland especially is, is quite unique, even though it's the largest city in the country. We've got a third of the population living in the Auckland region. We do help, still have amazing growing areas. And the rest of the country is, is you know, a big farm production space. 
we have in Auckland, we're growing amazing uh, tomatoes. We've got beautiful fresh salads. You, we're on very volcanic soil, so it's it's very fertile. And I mentioned the microclimates of Waiheke earlier. We've, we've got really good pockets of microclimates around the city. So we're growing carrots and onions and potatoes. There's kumara, which is the sweet potato further north. Um, lots of pip fruit in the region that I'm in. Kiwi uh, fruit, not the birds, kiwi fruit out here as well. This region, uh, Kimi is famous for its strawberries. Yeah, Auckland is a growing city, so we are losing a lot of our traditional agricultural space, um, which is not the ideal at all, but we are a growing city. Um, but uh, if you're coming to the city, you're going to find great farmers markets. Um, Clevedon on a Sunday is, is spectacular. The Matakana farmers market on a Saturday, if you want to venture out to the north, it's a beautiful drive up there and uh, you're going to see all kinds of um, low, obviously local produce. That's what you're after. But there's you know, really interesting things like buffalo cheese. What a lot of people don't realize about New Zealand is we produce really good olive oil as well. So you'll always find some good olive oil at the markets. Uh, when we're out with the big foodie touring on um, the weekends, we are at Parnell Farmers Market in the city, which is one of my absolute favorites. Um, and Graylin Farmers Markets, and they are very much uh, locally produced um, or within the region grown produce and where we all go shopping. So um, it, we are very, very spoilt for what we've got on offer. We still in the city, you know, we're still around Auckland, do have the roadside stalls where you can go and pick up excess produce that's grown um, on the farms. We've got a great paprika company, bell pepper company, very close to where I am, they are predominantly for export, but um, they do have uh, you know, local fruit and vegetables available. Um, and the further you get out of the city and down into the rest of New Zealand, we are we are a, a lot of farming areas. And you look at places like the East Coast and Hawke's Bay and Gisborne. Um, unfortunately, we did have a big cyclone earlier this year, which has destroyed a lot of that. But it'll be back and uh, you can't go wrong for fresh fruit and vegetables here. You mentioned the cheese at the markets, and my observation was that the dairy products in New Zealand are top-notch. Um, what kind of cheese is uh, is mostly made in New Zealand? What should we look for when we're there? We produce a lot of, obviously, uh, cow dairy. So we've got a lot of uh, uh, big block um, things like cheddar and Colby. I mean, if you're going to be looking for the best cheeses, you want to find um, – the ones that are not in the supermarkets and we work very closely with a fantastic uh store that is sort of where the chefs go shopping um and some of the cheeses that we taste on our tours there include the likes of Mahoe from the far north um they are a, a family of dutch uh, or a dutch family making cheese they're into their second generation they make um old howders and very old edams they let their cheese sit and age and, and do wonderful things their very old Edam has affectionately been called the crack cocaine of cheese for years because it's highly addictive um, and everybody raves about it on tour. In fact, if you try it on our Taste Bud tour and you don't like it, you get banned from New Zealand instantly. Um, but we've got uh, down in uh, the Bay of Plenty in Catty Catty, we have um, Jill and Chris from Mount Eliza who produce beautiful unpasteurized um, cheddar and red Leicester. And they have a pasteurized blue called Blue Monkey, which is just the naughtiest cheese in the world. It's beautiful. Um, but we do have great sheep 
uh, cheese producers, great cow cheese producers. There's a little bit of deer milk cheese floating around that's seasonal. Who wants to milk a deer? I don't know. But, you know, it's um, there's some interesting stuff happening and great buffalo cheese as well. Let's shift gears and talk about coffee. Kiwis love their coffee, right? Tell me a little bit about coffee culture in Auckland. Uh, I don't think there's very many Kiwis who can uh, get away without a decent coffee in the morning. I was just reading um, on the glorious Facebook a little while ago, someone asking whether they could bring their um, coffee, ground coffee in from Canada, because we're quite strict with what you can bring into New Zealand. And the the flow of comments on this post just made me howl with laughter. Why would you want to bring Canadian coffee to New Zealand? New Zealand's got the best coffee. Um, <laughs> it was it was really made me smile. We have great coffee, and we're a lot of our roasteries here are um, you're roasting green beans. They're blending the the origin of beans that they want. We work with a couple. One in particular um, is Miller's Coffee with uh, Craig's, a, a stalwart of, of coffee production in New Zealand. He's taught me everything I need to know about roasting a coffee bean. Um, we have the flat white, which is a, a double or single shot of espresso topped up with hot steamed milk. It's not a latte. It's slightly different. Um, and there's always the, the banter between the Aussies and the Kiwis who came up with the flat white. But we'll hand our, put our hands up for that. Um, there's a lot of roasteries. There's a lot of independent coffee roasted here. Uh, yes, we've got Starbucks. Yes, we've got a, a couple of chains, but you can't go through any of the major towns or cities without coming across a really good um, roastery and a really good coffee shop. So leave your syrups at the door, leave your demi, capo, almond, flappy, whatever it is. Come and try some New Zealand coffee. You're never going to go wrong. It's so good. I mean, the coffee is so good there. And I love the flat white, but you said something interesting. You're going to put your hands up. Does that mean you're not going to take sides or that you're going to let the Aussies say that they invented the flat white? Because this is one of my favorite food fights is that who invented the flat white? Did it come from Sydney or did it come from New Zealand? Oh, I think I've spoken to so many roasters about this and people who've been roasting for, for 25, 30 years. I will always bow down to Craig's knowledge in this. He says it comes out of Australia. Um, I think we make it better over here. So we'll just yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. I do want to ask you one more question about the flat white, though, because this is the reason why. I've seen flat. Now, flat whites are pretty much ubiquitous. You can get them in Lisbon now. In fact, in my city, that's significantly smaller than Lisbon. There is a place that just opened five days ago. They have flat white on the menu. And I think it's the first place to offer flat white in our city. But you can see flat white. Every, I mean, Starbucks even has flat whites now. But here's my question for you, El. So you've got your espresso and then you've got your little uh, foamed milk on top of it. But my understanding was that the milk was foamed a little bit different to have microbeads on top of the espresso with the flat white, whereas a cappuccino or a latte, it's more foam with bigger bigger bubbles in there. So it's it's a lighter kind of uh, foam that goes on top. But I was talking to some baristas who said, yeah, maybe it was like that before, but now basically we just foam all the coffee the same way. And flat white or cappuccino, it just is how much of the foam you put on top. My question to you is, as an Aucklander, do you 
think there should be and is there any difference between the foam that you're putting on a flat white and the foam that you're putting on a latte or a cappuccino or something like that? So cappuccinos have got the foam on it, whereas a flat white has the steamed milk, which is the velvety, um, you know, more of a, a microfoam and it's smoother and silkier. So you've got a much creamier texture rather than a foam. Um, so you're you're having a much smoother coffee than a, a, a black coffee with a white foam on top. Um, that's how I would describe it to to people. There's more more time spent with making the milk more velvety than just having that milk with froth on top, um, as you would with a cappuccino. The latte flat white side of things, lattes to me tend to be um, stronger, whereas flat whites are, are more velvety and um, smoother. Does that answer that question? <laughs> A- absolutely. And I, I kind of led you down that road, but I think I, I think you're kind of agreeing with what I'm saying is that they're, they're really two completely different things. And in, I don't know, you're, you live in New Zealand, so maybe you haven't seen this, but it's kind of become now just there's one kind of, of foam milk that goes on top of everything rather than flat white being its own distinct kind of milk. Uh, milk coffee drink. So anyway, I'm glad you confirmed that for me because <laughs> when I'm right, I'm puffing out my chest and saying, see, I told you you're not making it right. Um, but anyway, uh, thank you for answering that question. I did want to talk a little bit about the Mari culture, especially the food culture of the Mari. The Maris were the original indigenous people that arrived in New Zealand several centuries before the Europeans did. They were the original indigenous folks there. And just as a side note, I think New Zealand is doing a a, a much better job than a lot of North American countries in recognizing the um, indigenous people, you know, understanding what their contributions were, and also, you know, celebrating um, their culture in general. I mean, you know, Places around the world are having to grapple with this ugly history. And um, my personal observation as an outsider is my hat goes off to uh, New Zealand for um, being better than most in this in this realm. But I did want to ask you about Maori food because I think it's interesting and unique. If we come to Auckland, is there a way that we can experience uh, Maori culture and Maori food? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, you're you here and you want to go and experience it, one of the best things you can do is head down to Rotorua, which is um, a, an easy tour trip away. It's about two and a half, three hours. And you've got some amazing cultural events that take place in um, Rotorua and brilliant uh, opportunities to go and actually try a hangi um, at Tapuya or at one of the other uh, ventures that's there. Hangi is... Um, cooking underground so you you build a fire put volcanic rock on top of it as the wood burns underneath it the rocks heat up um, and the food is wrapped traditionally in in leaves and put into baskets laid on top of those hot rocks once you've dug the ashes out and uh covered we cover now in, in sheets and um coffee sacks but definitely in, in flax and um, with earth and leave, you know, the food is left to, to steam and cook underground. It is unique. It's very special. 
Um, I, as I've mentioned, I'm English. I've been here 20 years, but I married a New Zealander um, who's also half English. And we had a hungy for our wedding because it is something I absolutely oh, cool. really, really love and, and wanted other people to experience. We're seeing a lot more done with indigenous flavor in New Zealand. So some of our native herbs and plants, you're seeing more and more of them being used in um, drinks, in tonics. Um, our honey is spectacular anyway, but uh, seeing you know, manuka honey, which has all kinds of health benefits, being mixed with things like kawakawa, which is a, a natural um, indigenous herb, also called you know, known as lemon basil. It uh, has beautiful flavors. So you see a lot of these flavors and um, native herbs and spices being used more in food on a day-to-day -day, day -to -day basis. And it's not just... Uh, Maori chefs doing that. It's it's you know, Pākehā New Zealand chefs. It's um, you know chefs with Asian origin using these indigenous flavors in their food as well. So the fusion is really quite spectacular. You can go and do the traditional um, and go to places like Rotorua. There's a brilliant guy called the Hungi Master in Auckland. He works with um, the likes of Peter Gordon at Homeland, who's one of our very best chefs. Um, ben Bailey at Ahi. And he's providing them with hungry pork, so hungry cooked pork for some of their dishes. Um, so you're, you're getting traditional foods cooked, given to, you know, provided to restaurants as a, a cooked meat. Um, he's also just teamed up with a um, company that makes Asian dumplings and they're putting uh, the hungry flavors and dumplings that you can buy in the supermarket. So we are seeing much more mainstream um, Maori cuisine in our day-to-day -day life, which is, is just phenomenal. And when you spend the time learning about the what the, the native herbs and spices can do medicinally and health-wise, as well as flavoring your food, it's quite amazing. So are you seeing some of these herbs and spices from the Maori um, make their way into more mainstream, I'm using air quotes here, more mainstream cuisine outside of uh, strict Maori uh, cuisine in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a, a salt blend that I picked up at a market in the South Island that has um, kawakawa and horopito. Horopito is like a spicy pepper. Um, and it's a beautiful salt blend that I use when I'm cooking fish. So we're seeing a lot more um, Maori people getting involved with food production, selling products. There's a lot of support. One thing we're really good at is getting food to market. Um, so there's huge amounts of support. If you've got an idea for um, any kind of, of food, how you get it to market in the first place and seeing a lot of these you know, herbs, spices, flavors, knowledge coming through um and that's the, the biggest thing to me about working with with maori is that they are educators they want to teach you um i was incredibly lucky when i set the tour company up many moons ago 13 14 years ago that uh a guy came and stopped past um, a stand I was at a food show and a, guy, a wonderful guy called john panaho who's become one of my very closest friends here and he said to me what are you doing with maori cuisine and i looked at him and said I'm a five foot girl from Essex, not a lot. <laughs> um, and over the years, he has taught me and taught me and taught me a, a huge amount um, of what I needed to know. Some of the very best meals I have eaten, he has cooked. Um, and it is, there is knowledge and endless amounts of it with what our native produce can do. And it's, it's something really important to savor and look after and something that now I'm, I'm proud to share, having spent a lot of time with him, his family, um, his whānau, which is extended family, 
um, and others, you know, once you get hooked into it, it's, it's very easy to, to want to share what we have here natively um, and, and make sure that other people experience and enjoy it. And especially in our gardens here at Vineyard Cottages, when we take away, you know, if a tree comes down in a storm or we have to replant something, we're going straight for natives now to make sure that we're a doing the right thing by the country, but also what can we use in the kitchen? What can we use um, to cook as well? You mentioned uh, Asian chefs there, and I noticed, um, you know, hard hard to miss that there is a huge Asian influence in New Zealand. Um, lots of uh, Malaysians of Chinese extract have opened up restaurants, um, but you know. Lots of, you know, Southern Asians, um, Asians from all over coming to New Zealand. What kind of influence are they bringing to Auckland and to New Zealand cuisine? Huge amounts. Uh, And I I firmly blame um, someone I met about two weeks after arriving in New Zealand for um, keeping me here. He was a a guy from his family was originally from Laos and he was my manager at a company I've got a job with. Um, and the first thing he did was introduce me to Southeast Asian flavors in New Zealand through going home and cooking with his family. And when he came in as a, a refugee with his family and his, you know, his parents, his brother and sister, the families they traveled from Laos and, and Thailand with the connection that they had to home was food. And over the years that has developed into food halls and markets and restaurants and cafes um, and we have some of the very best uh, flavors using you know, local, locally grown produce. Um, some of our producers and growers in uh, the South Auckland region are fifth or sixth generation um, Chinese migrants. You know, they've been here for, for generation after generation. They're exporting their produce back to, to Asia now. Um, but their flavors, their knowledge is, is still here. So I think you get some of the, the very best um mixture of everything from European, Asian, Pacifica, um, South American flavors, all in this one little spot at the bottom of the world. And we invite everybody to come down here and experience it. As a person who immigrated from his country to now in Portugal, I can tell you it's so rewarding when your new home country embraces you, the people there embrace you, and they want to teach you about uh, their cuisine. And my friend Helen Ise, who who lives here in Portugal, but she's originally Brazilian, uh, when she found out I love to cook, she she had me and my girlfriend over, and um, immediately put me to work in her kitchen. But some of my favorite meals that I've had here in Portugal have been um, in her kitchen, and it's really taught me so much about not only Portuguese food but especially Brazilian food. And um, also, I, I blame my uh, rotator cuff on her because she asked me to uh, she asked me to make the uh, pesto and she was making pesto for some pasta. And she said, uh, you, you make the pesto. And I'm like, OK, Helen, you say, where's the food processor? And she's like, there's no food processor. There's the mortar and pestle. Grind away, kid. I'm like, OK, <laughs> this whole batch. Yeah, the whole batch. Yeah. But you're never going to exp- forget that. Right. That's always that hands on moment of course you're learning and your your. Um, experiencing something with people around you. That was why I started the tour company. It was, you know, the one thing people always ask me on tour is, oh, did you meet your husband and that's why you stayed? Absolutely not. You know, he was way down the track. The tour company is, <laughs> w- was how I fell in love with New Zealand. I stayed here because of the food and, you know, discovered 
on what was supposed to be a six month trip around the world within eight weeks of actually traveling, got to Auckland, found these amazing markets with Pet and his family that you know, we were sitting behind caravans eating noodle soup on a Sunday morning, trying to recover from a very European hangover. Um, those sorts of experiences were were fantastic. And when we, we do get the opportunity with the tours to do something hands-on, especially if they come out to vineyard cottages or with our longer um, five and seven day tours, one, a few years ago, pre-COVID, we took a group from Australia to Hawke's Bay and Wellington for six days. And the farmer's market at Hastings is one of the best in the country. I gave them there was about 16 of them split into three groups. I gave them $10 each and said, go and find ingredients, work out what you're going to cook, get into your teams, and we're going to make a three-course meal um, for lunch. And so they disappeared off. They We got back on the bus. We went to a vineyard, uh, the Cellini Vineyards um, in Hastings, which are fantastic, used their kitchens. And between them all, they came up with three amazing, well, about half a dozen amazing dishes that they cooked between them. We sat out in the vines, and that was the way of spending our Sunday. And I'll never forget that because it was just everybody hands on racing around the farmer's market, having an absolute blast and using what they could find to work together to create this incredible meal. You know, I've, I've heard about this thing called, um, and I have to admit, I'm, I wasn't familiar with it before I started uh, researching for our conversation, but something called New Zealand Fish and Chips. And I think, Elle, you are the perfect person to ask about this because, as you said, you are British originally. Now you've created a home in Auckland, New Zealand for the past couple of decades. So how do you compare the two, New Zealand Fish and Chips, British Fish and Chips, is there a noticeable difference? And if so, what, what would that be? British fish and chips tend to use um, fish that is much heavier flaked. So haddock and cod, much heavier, meatier fish in a much thicker batter um, with much thicker cut chips. That's what I grew up with. That's what I love. It has taken a long time to get used to the New Zealand fashion chops, um, where the batter tends to be a lot lighter the fish is genuinely a lot fresher. So you know, a lot of the time we're seeing fresh fish um, that's battered. Uh, it's much, much lighter batter. It's not like a tempura, but it's a much lighter batter. Um, and chips can be any shape or size. There is, you know, in the UK, we douse it in vinegar to cut the fat flavor. Um, whereas here it's fresh lemon off the trees. There's the romance that goes with it. But it is still very much that... Um, that notion of fish and chips at the beach and it is something that we do and have done for years friday nights or when we're out at the weekends grab local fish and chips go and sit at the beach um, and just enjoy it. it it's really quite fantastic we are really lucky with new zealand we are surrounded by water we have a, a fabulous um fishing industry we've got great fresh fish and uh it is something that we do like to show off and talk about um, especially you know, all of our restaurants are using beautiful New Zealand fish. There are some really fun things happening with fish and chips as well. And I'm just going to mention one of them because they deserve a plug. They're a great couple. The Lodge Bar in Auckland um, is part of a, a group that uh, came out of Rod and Gun Menswear, which is an institution in New Zealand. And they um, they set up the Lodge Bar as somewhere to uh, have a, a real taste of New Zealand. One of the dishes they do is fish and chips. And then instead of doing the fish and the chips, they do the batter of the 
the fish with a piece of uh, sashimi on top and um, some little pickles. And we had that as a, a, a taster on one of the tours. And it is just a very unique way of experiencing um, fish and chips in a, a, a different style. And it's absolutely adored. Before I let you go, Elle, I wanted to mention one thing that I really loved about Auckland. You, you, you paint this picture of Auckland being surrounded by water, and it's just, it's, it's hard to explain really how just magnificent the views are, how gorgeous the city itself is. And I just wanted to say one of my favorite things to do is to, you mentioned taking the ferry to uh, Waiheke Island. You can also, there's other, lots of other places you can take ferries to because, like you said, surrounded by water, there's lots of islands, there's lots of places to go. One of my favorite things is to take the ferry across the water to Devonport, and there's a great promenade right along Devonport. It's a charming little town, and I love going there in the evening and watching the sunset behind the city of Auckland and watches the lights begin to come up in the city. It's really quite magical. Um, Do you have any suggestions for places to go in Devonport or um, maybe one of these smaller areas that are close by within easy reach of Auckland? We're pretty lucky with uh, with Auckland in that you can um, jump on a bus. The North Shore itself, where Devonport is sort of on the end of it, the North Shore is a brilliant um, area to go and explore. And it is somewhere that um, I lived for a long time before we came out here. Uh, Takapuna Beach is also brilliant. Takapuna is a great area. Milford's all got really good little um, foodie places to go and explore. I do love Devonport in that, you know, just walking up those fabulous volcanoes um, up Mount Head and uh, sorry, North Head, Mount Vic. Um they are beautiful. You are going to see amazing sunsets and sunrises if you want to do it, because you can see both east and west. Um, the Manuka Cafe in uh, Devonport is, is somewhere that I always go and their seafood chowder is pretty legendary. Um, but I, I again, I don't want to harp back to, to Waiheke. If you want to do that sunset experience, going over to Waiheke and getting a, a ferry that's coming back with the sunset and sitting on top, you're literally going you know, east to west towards the city and you will see the sun come down behind the harbour bridge, behind the sky tower. It is it is magnificent. It is uh, the colours of the water here just get more and more beautiful every year that I get older and more romantic about it. Um, but you can also drive out to the, the likes of Piha Beach and Mirawai Beach, which um, are only, Mirawai is 45 minutes to an hour away from the city. Um, and that's it's 15 minutes away from us here. That's a beautiful spot to go and sit in the dunes, take a picnic, you know, go to one of the, the stores, buy some local produce, take a picnic, sit in the dunes. It's black sand. It's volcanic sand. It's absolutely stunning. Watch that sunset. Head back um, via one of the local pubs or um, craft breweries. Have something to drink and get back into the city or come and stay with us. Um, it is a, a really unique city and what's on offer and how accessible it is to all of us. L. Armin Jones from the Big Foodie Food Tours. If folks want to get in touch with you, they want to stay at, on your property, or if they want to get a food tour with you, um, how should they get in touch? Uh, we're on pretty much every social platform you can find us on, apart from TikTok, because I'm too old for that, I think. Um, but uh, we are, uh, <laughs> so thebigfoodie.com, it's foodie with a Y. Um, so www.thebigfoodie.com or vineyardcottages.co.nz. Um, and we are at The Big Foodie on Instagram and Facebook. And we'd love to see you. It's a great, 
city. It's a great country. And I will point out we've, we've got tours starting in Wellington, Dunedin and Christchurch in the next couple of months. So we're going to be nationwide showing this fabulous country off through people's taste buds. And I'd love to see everybody here to do so. I love Wellington and Christchurch. So we're going to have to have you back on the show to talk about both of those when they get up and running. Love to do that. That would be amazing. Thank you. L. Armin Jones from the Big Foodie Food Tours. Thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. You're just putting a smile on my face thinking about our time in New Zealand. And you're also making me think that uh, five years has been much too long. We've got to get back there real soon. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much. Take care. That's L. Armin Jones. What a delightful lady. You know, when I had Monique Bayer on the show from Walk Melbourne Tours in Australia, she jokingly said, you can't fight with the Kiwis because they're just so nice. And L certainly proves that people from New Zealand are super nice. Reach out to her at thebigfoodie.com. You can also get a link to L in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED262. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we are in Italy with Kathy McCabe of the TV show Dream of Italy. And if you like the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and rate and review Destination Eat Drink on your podcast app. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.